Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. I want to start off um, this week by being nice, because I think being nice is important. And it's something that I wrote an article about recently uh, in relation to being a photographer and the importance of being nice. And why I kind of it came to my mind in particular, although it's a piece of advice I give anybody who asks me, um, you know, what does it take to be a photographer working as a commission photographer, or in fact, in any area of photography, uh, why it kind of came to mind recently was because I'd seen um, some messages, some, uh, I suppose, how would you describe this? I suppose, yeah, messages, really, which had been sent to a photographer who was working for an agency. They wanted to leave that agency. And despite the fact that the contract for that agent demanded that they stayed with the agency for five years, the photographer just didn't feel that the agency was um, doing anything for them. And so that should be perfectly reasonable, I think, that the, um, the photographer should be able to leave. I've heard many stories over the years about agents that haven't been good. I've heard of agents who've run away with the cash. I've heard of agents who didn't partake in passing over the cash that was required or payments that were due. I've heard of agents not paying their bills. Pretty much most of those um, kind of issues were finance-based, but this one wasn't. This one just turned nasty, and the uh, representative of the agency decided to send these messages through uh, various social media channels, um, which were really bullying and really aggressive and just totally inappropriate. Now, in the past, I know this kind of thing did go on, but we didn't hear about it that much. But now with social media, all it took was the photographer to screen grab some of these messages and the, the person involved couldn't deny in any way what they'd done. Interestingly enough, I commented about this and um, and the person blocked me on Twitter. So there you go. They apologised, but obviously weren't that um, really very apologetic, but they apologised to the photographer and they've now let them go. So in future... Just be nice. It's about nice. I was reading the other day a, a nice story. As I said, this is going to be a, a nice episode. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, I certainly was, of the uh, photographer Norman Jean Roy. Well, it turns out that uh, six years ago, he walked away from his career behind the camera. And these days, he's baking bread. I told you it was going to be a nice episode. So for almost 30 years, the Canadian-born photographer made his name synonymous with beautiful portraits of beautiful people. Norman Jean Roy was in all of the Vogues and all of those high-luxury magazines photographing the world's top celebrities. But at 51, he became disenchanted with this routine and missed spending time with his family. So in 2014, he walked away from his career, moving into a barn in the Hudson Valley of New York State. Roy, who used to bake bread with his grandmother while growing up outside of Montreal, has transformed himself from a hobbyist to a professional baker. Last year, he enrolled in a bread-making boot camp and rented a 7,000-square-foot red-brick building in downtown Hudson to create a 50-seat bakery called Bread Folks. 
Roy designed the space and did much of the finishing work himself. He said, I'm making a living two to three dollars at a time. Sure, a lot of photographers will feel the same. But anyway, Roy says there's nothing more humbling than after having spent years in five-star hotels and private jets. Well, that photography was kind to you, Roy. Uh, he and his wife are also launching a coffee brand, Roast Folks, along with a stoneware line called Clay Folks. I guess folks is the key here. Uh, the next step, he says, is franchising. He said, I'm not interested in ever opening a Bread Folks in New York City or places like that. And Roy's photography now is mostly relegated to his bakery's Instagram feed. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're into bread, you might like to reach out to Roy. I've spoken out over the last few weeks about the new book that um, we've published, What Does Photography Mean to You?, containing 89 photographers explaining what they feel about the answer is to that question, what they can come up with. And they've come up with some pretty incredible stuff. That book's available now, $9.99. I'm going to be mentioning it coming up to Christmas because what could be better to fill your camera bag or Christmas festive stocking. But uh, also, I was uh, talking last week to Bill Shapiro, who's a regular listener to this podcast. And here's a little clue. He'll be appearing on it soon. But anyway, I was talking to Bill in conversation, talking around how this uh, podcast is made. And uh, some of the kind of thoughts I have about the uh, what does photography uh, mean to you strand. Anyway, if you're interested in listening to uh, that conversation, I've done a special one-off point five uh, podcast. So uh, it posted uh, last week just between Lois Greenfield and this podcast. So you can uh, listen to that and check it out. A bit longer than usual, 39 minutes, but I edited it down from a lot longer. You know I don't believe in overlong podcasts, but that's just a little bit longer than normal. So that's on the website, as usual. It's on iTunes, Spotify, and on SoundCloud. Talking of what does photography mean to you, it's about time I introduce this week's contributor, and it's Paul Lowe an award-winning photographer who's covered breaking news across the world, including the fall of the Berlin Wall, Nelson Mandela's release, famine in Africa, the conflict in the former Yugoslavia and the destruction of Grozny. His images have been published in Time, Newsweek Life, The Sunday Times magazine, The Observer and The Independent, amongst others. His book, Bosnians, documenting 10 years of the war and post-war situation in Bosnia, was published in April 2005, and Lowe's research on the photography of conflict has led him to contributing chapters to Picturing Atrocity, Photography in Crisis in 2012, and Photography and Conflict. His most recent books include Photography Masterclass, Understanding Photojournalism, co-authored with Dr. Jenny Good, and Photography Rules, Essential Do's and Don'ts from Don'ts, I should say, from great photographers. Lowe is a reader in documentary photography and the course leader of the Master's Programme in Photojournalism and Documentary Photography at the London College of Communication, University of the Arts in London. So my name is Paul Lowe. I'm a reader in documentary photography at London College of Communication, University of the Arts London, and I've been a photographer 
and a writer and I guess now historian and academic of photography for more than 30 years. Um, I think there are, there are a couple of things about photography that I find fascinating. Um, one of it, one of those things is its ability to deal with space and place. And the other one is its, its relationship to time and to temporality. I think for me, um, I'm very interested in photographs about the world. Uh, I'm not particularly interested in constructed images, but I am very interested in images that are about the world, but allow an imaginative space for us to explore. So photographs of the real, but then lead us into thinking in a more profound and deep way about the nature of existence, the nature of humanity, the nature of the world, if you like. And I think one of photography's really unique capabilities as a medium that perhaps marks it out uh, in some ways as special is its ability to pay attention to things that would otherwise go unnoticed. And I find photographers and photographs that do that super interesting, really fascinating. So something like uh, Marshall Duchamp's picture, Dust Breeding, uh, the idea that you could create an image of an entire universe almost that has all sorts of allusions to the First World War, to loss, to grief, to chaos, to structure, to form, simply made out of the way that dust falls on a sheet of glass, the most insignificant, the most uh, unimportant detrius of life, as it were, dust, is transformed through the photographer's vision or the artist's vision into something really extraordinary and profound and deep. So that's the kind of photography that I think is really, really interesting. Um, I also think that photography's relationship to time is really, really important. You know, photographs uh, obviously are very much dictated by time. You know, you have, you know, the, the shutter, obviously, initially. Uh, but some photographs are taken in one hundred thousandth of a second. You know, Harold Edgerton's incredible images that show us how a drop of milk uh, uh, looks when it hits the surface, frozen, suspended in, in space. Or, you know, Sugimoto's images of the screen of a of a, a movie theater taken during the entire duration of a film, or something like, let's say, Simon Norfolk's pictures of star trails and satellites taken during the, the expanse of a whole evening. So photography, obviously, in a very simple way, is related to time. But I think in a more profound and deep way, I think how we experience photographs uh, is really interesting, because a photograph essentially is representing the past into the present moment. We can look at photographs taken in the very earliest days of photography in the, in the mid-19th century, and they can still tell us something today, not just about that time that they were taken, but also these profound things about the nature of humanity, the nature of life, the nature of history. Um, I find it very interesting with my own work. You know, I've been a photographer since the late 1980s, and I covered that, particularly that period from sort of 80, 1988 through to 1995, when the European revolutions were happening and, and the fall of communism, the end of the Iron Curtain and the siege of Sarajevo. And looking back now, sort of 20, 30 years later, um, suddenly my work is now an archive. It's now history. I studied history at university uh, and I've realized that perhaps I was kind of working as a kind of coal miner of history, if you like, in those early days. I was very much aware that the things I was photographing were major global events that were going to go we're going to become part of our historical narrative and we're going to go into the historical record and become something that we would look back on as historical documents 
And I think my works, my attitude towards my work has shifted in many ways over that period because at the time I was shooting it, I was trying to make the kind of dramatic, strong image that would be in the news magazines or the newspapers that encapsulated the, the essence of the moment. So I was very, very struck, obviously, by the aesthetics, by the formal qualities, as well as trying to make sure the content was strong. Um, and then a period after, particularly this is true in my work in Sarajevo during the siege, where when I was first there, when I was there shooting there, I was trying to look for the images that would tell a story, that would tell the story of the survival of the citizens of that city and this incredible, difficult situation. But I was still looking for pictures that kind of had that immediacy, if you like. Um, when I went back and re-edited that work five years later and ten years later for the book that I did about Bosnia, I had a different emphasis. I was looking for perhaps the more subtle, the quieter images, still with a very strong aesthetic, but the pictures that, that kind of talk, talked about that more state of mind, that more completive moments. And in fact, many of the images that ended up in the book that I did about Bosnia in 2005 were ones that I'd never even picked off the contact sheet. I'd never even edited at the time. They, they only sort of came to life, as it were, in that extraordinary process when you start mining your archive and going through the contact sheet frame by frame and, and revisiting it with, the, with that benefit of hindsight and looking for different kinds of pictures, the less obvious pictures, the quieter pictures, the more subtle moments, if you like. Now, looking at my archive 25 years later, I have a different perspective. And now what I'm interested in in those pictures from the war is who is in the pictures. Uh, what does it show? What details are there? The kind of almost ethnographic anthropological details of the ways in which people survived the fabric of the city, the fabric of the destruction of the city, the textures of destroyed walls, destroyed buildings, who built barricades, how were those barricades functioned, what protection did they give? So in a sense, a more, a more purely documentary uh, reading, if you like, of those images where, you know, who's in the pictures? Perhaps the photograph I took of a group of children is the only picture of those children that exist. And indeed, many of those people, sadly, are, are, are very possibly dead or were killed during the war, have died since then. So I think that's a really, for me, a very interesting sense of how my own relationship to my own photography can change over time. And equally, how, our, how a photograph uh, can have all these multivalent meanings and multivalent uses, depending on, on who's looking at it and, and what use it's being put to. And I think one of the things that I'm very interested in doing now with my with my life, my writing, my career, I guess, is to try to help people who are not perhaps photographers or desperately interested in photography realize that photography can be much more than a purely descriptive medium that just says this is what's there. That in fact, it can be used and photographs can be used as tools to think with and to analyze and to imagine with. And for me, the imaginative power of photographs of the real is where the really interesting things start to happen. Thank you very much, Paul, for your contribution this week. Lots to pick out there as usual. Really interesting for me to hear him talking about history. Uh, I spoke earlier about that conversation I had with Bill Shapiro, I should say. I always say Shapiro. I'm so bad at that. Shapiro. Um, was so, He asked me, you know, what does photography mean to me? And the word that always comes to my mind is history. Um, I'm talking about history. There's something I wanted to finish off this week's podcast with. As I said at the beginning, I wanted this week's to be quite light and kind of nice. And I wanted to kind of focus on some of the kind of frivolity, I suppose, around photography just for a change. And I'm currently reading uh, my way through the David Bailey autobiography. I know Bailey upsets a lot of people. A lot of people don't rate him. I do. I've had some great times with him. Um, but anyway, 
Uh, I saw the photographer Chris Floyd, always a good touchstone, is also uh, reading through this. And uh, he took out a page and put it on Twitter the other day. It was a page that also had stuck out to me. So I thought I'd read it for a little bit of light relief in these dark times. So this is David Bailey. I travelled with Penelope across Europe to fashion shoots in my dark blue Ferrari 275, to Paris, to Rome, to Florence, to Milan. They were great trips. One of the bosses at Ferrari told me that it was one of only 90 in production and it was the best Ferrari ever made. One of its distinguishing features, apart from its sharp nose, was that we had to get hotel staff to push start it in the morning. Otherwise it was fine. We'd stay at the Column d'Or in the south of France. Miles Davis's sketches of Spain was, was music I remember playing in the car. Going to dinner at Paul Bacos, the posh Michelin star restaurant in Lyon, in the centre of France on the day of the moon landing in July 1969. I remember coming out of the restaurant, looking up at the sky and thinking, there's people walking on the moon. We stayed in out-of-the-way places that weren't known. Little inns, villages. It was wonderful. I'm sure it was, Bailey. What a wonderful life to have led. But of course, that's his personal history. And I suppose that's the key thing, isn't it, with photography? It's really important to understand that, that relevance of the life we lead. And I think it's also important occasionally just to have a little bit of fun. A lot of people could look back on that, at, uh, perhaps at Norman G. Roy and his, his bakery operation. It all sounds very idyllic to walk away from private jets to set up your own bakery. It all sounds very idyllic to travel France in a Ferrari with Miles Davis playing and with Penelope Tree in the passenger seat. And I suppose in a way it is. But I don't resent any of that stuff. I don't resent them for having that life. I actually think it's great. And uh, I suppose there's a little bit of vicarious living going on with reading this stuff and knowing about this stuff. Photography opens so many doors and can give us such an incredible life. Sometimes it can feel really hard, but the highs are high. We've just got to make sure that the lows aren't too low and that we can try and find an element of balance. A lot of people at the moment are looking back at their archives, just as Paul Lowe was talking about there, and perhaps reassessing the work that we've done in the past and finding new things in that work. And I think that's a really positive kind of practice to get engaged with. Anyway, as you all know, um, we've had a few vaccines coming up and perhaps and hopefully the future is looking brighter. But whatever happens, it's still a little bit of a way to go. So in the meantime, we've still got to take care.